Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. That's the kingdom of God we're singing about here across our campuses. There is one name that we stand under and we unify under, and that name is Jesus. So do me a favor, before you sit down, give someone a high five, say, welcome to church today. Like you mean it though, say it like you mean it as you grab a seat. And that song we just sung is called Good Grace. It's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God, and, and we, we sing these lyrics sometimes, they just come out of our mouth and they're written beautifully, but, but like lyrics like, people come together. Every nation, our blood is one. And you hear that as a believer and understanding scripture, and you're like, come on now. You're a guest, and you're like, come again? Our blood is what now? What are we talking about? Listen, listen, these lyrics only make sense when you understand the word of God. And my prayer for you today is that you would leave better understanding that these lyrics are not just our idea. These songs we sing are not just stuff we come up with. These are truths that come out of Scripture. We don't just make them up. And by the end of the day, we're going to sing that chorus one more time. And I think you're going to leave with a better understanding of where it comes from and why we sing it. And my heart for you, I'll just tell you off the top, I want you to leave today with a better understanding of how you can dive into the Bible and not be lost. Like when you, if you've never read the Bible before, you're like, okay, let's start. In the beginning, God created, that makes sense. Cool. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Then you get to Leviticus and you're like, I'm out. Okay. What are we talking about? Hooved animals. And what am I supposed to, anyway, like I, there's jokes that are inappropriate. I'll leave it there. Where do I start? Do I read it from front to back? How do I make sense of this book without a seminary degree? The Bible is, is complicated until it's not. And it's, it's unapproachable until it isn't. And my heart for you is that you would leave today with a better understanding of how to approach God's word, that you're not insecure, that you're not lost, and that you're not doing this by yourself. If you remember last weekend, we, we started a conversation that, listen, you're not by yourself regardless because that's why the church exists. It says in Psalm 92 that the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, and they will stay fresh, and they will stay green. And what the psalmist is saying is that there's a correlation between where your life is planted and how your life will grow and flourish. It's why we ask church-wide, would you consider giving us 12 months and saying yes to whatever opportunity God puts in front of you at this church? You will look back in 12 months and say, I'm a change person. And if not, come find me. I'll help you find another church because that's the calling of the church. And here's, here's what I pull from that Psalm 92 verse. The church is not just a service you attend. It's the soil that you grow in. And if we've missed something about what church is about here in our American context is we can, we can dumb church down to one hour a week where you sit in a service and you leave and go, is that what God had in mind when he started the church? And I would tell you, no, that was not God's idea. The church in God's mind was not just an hour a week. It's that we would be the soil by which your life is planted and God grows you up and your life produces fruit that is meaningful and that lasts. And when I say the church is the soil, I mean it's, it's like that you're fed through biblical teaching. 
that, that there's weeding, pulling the weeds in your life through spiritual challenge, that your life is watered through corporate worship when we sing together. In fact, that's one of the reasons why Thursday, Friday this week was a call to worship. Across all of our church, we're inviting you Thursday night, Friday night. It's the same, same experience, both nights, pick one. But we gather to encourage each other and worship at our Lawrenceville campus this week. That, that also in the soil of the church, that you're rooted in relationships and small groups. That you, you know people and not just know them on social media. Not just know them because they posted a vacation picture. But they know you and you know them. And that you would grow through serving and learning to not make all of this about you. You see, one of the reasons the church exists is to help us get off our own agenda and being about ourselves. See, when you serve, it's not just serving the church. It's, it's growing us up inside of this. And when you plant your life in the church, God wants to affect not just the hour a week you're in a building, but the whole of your life, how you date, how you do marriage, how you do parenting, how you manage your finances, how you make decisions, what your priorities are, the whole of you. In fact, Jesus says it this way. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and with all your strength. Jesus is saying, I want to transform and grow up and help all of you grow up. In fact, let me, let me help us remember last week and we drew the concentric circles, if you will. Oh, I nailed it. And we've got this whole, we've got the heart and the mind and the will, and this is where they all meet. And God's not just interested in making you smarter or making your heart beat like, oh, I'm so much kinder and love people and not just the to-do list. He wants all of you. You see, we talk about in our mind, we say that's, that's biblical knowledge. This is what is in the soil of the church. This is why we exist, to help all these things, that there's biblical knowledge. And today we answer the question, how do I read the Bible? Because it's not enough that you get a teaching on Sundays. You have to know how to jump into the Word yourself. And we want to demystify how you read the Bible. And then you, you move into this heart conversation where there's a spiritual intimacy, relationship with God. Next weekend, we're going to answer the question, how do I pray? Third, it affects your will, your decisions. We call that holy obedience. And then the next week, we're going to answer the question, how do I actually live for Jesus? How does this actually play out in my life? And the reason that all three of these have to be in play is because without them, we drift towards things that are not what God had in mind for our life. Like if we talk about it's all mind, it's just biblical knowledge. Next slide. If it's just biblical knowledge without intimacy and obedience, it's intellectualism. And if you don't understand this, there are biblical professors who know more about the Bible than I ever will and have no relationship with God. Don't, don't, don't miss this. Now, God's not saying I don't want you to know the Bible, but it's not the whole of it. Then you go to the second thing that if it's all heart and intimacy without knowledge and obedience, it's just emotionalism, chasing the next experience. And then third, if it's all the holy obedience in your will without intimacy and knowledge, it's legalism. All that, all that it is is just following rules. And if I'm honest, for decades of my life, that was what I believed this whole church, Jesus, Christianity thing was. He just wanted to change my behavior and make me follow the rules. And I'm telling you, if that's how you see God, man, you might be here for the first time, the second time ever, and you might have thought for years, the church is all about making people follow the rules. I'm telling you, you're missing the heart of God. 
He's not just trying to make you follow the rules and check the boxes. He wants to transform you, and he wants your life to grow and flourish in 2024. And that's why today we're, we're answering the question, how do I read the Bible? I want to speak into the, the biblical knowledge, the mind piece of how God grows us up and deepens us. And we'll, the next two weeks, unpack the next two. And just in case you think, we're answering the question, how do I read the Bible? I already know that. I would just challenge you. I think God has something new to teach you today. There might be things that God wants to make new or renew in you, or maybe God wants to give you someone new that if you know how to read the Bible and they don't, maybe you should pour in and help. Because it's not just for us. Like if I know how to read the Bible and my kids don't, that's a problem. If I know how to read the Bible and my friends don't, that's a problem. And, and, and that might be where you sit. Also, if you were honest, more of us than not, when we think about reading the Bible, we have less confidence and we probably feel a little bit more like, like this when we read the Bible. Have you ever had a dream that, that you, um, you had? You... I can read every, every uh, fiction book I have. I can read through all these things that open the Bible. I'm like, uh, 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 what's that? We, we want you to leave with a better understanding. So you don't have to feel that way. And we'll talk more about this at the end. But we're going to invite you to text Devo to 37748 because we've created a five-day personal devotional for you. That's going to unpack and teach you actually how to practice the things that we're teaching today. Because we, we don't want to just give you head knowledge. We want to help you put it into practice. We'll talk more. But at any point, you can text Devo to 37748. Now, before I get to the practical, how do I read the Bible, I need to get permission from you here and across the campuses. I have way more to say than I have time for. And there's, when you're trying to teach like the Bible in our teaching, it's pretty daunting it's like trying to explain astrophysics to like a three-year-old. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to cut. I don't know what to... And so I need your permission that, that I need to move fast. I need to say things and bump past them quick because I don't have time to unpack everything. But I want to give a, a full swatch of everything we need to sort of know on the 101 of the Bible to get there. So I need some permission. Otherwise, I'll just skip to the end and we'll pray and leave. And if you don't get permission, I'll cry because that's really insecure of me. So do I have your permission to move fast, cover a lot of stuff in a short amount of time? Thank you very much, because I need that. First question I have to answer, because the Bible's in our hands today. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, grab the Bible in the seat under you or in front of you or the Bible you were handed walking in. If you don't have a Bible, take that one home with you. First step in knowing God's word is having God's word. Let that be our gift to you. It's the best gift you will ever receive, I promise you. Apart from salvation through Jesus, it's the best gift you'll ever receive. And if you, uh, if you don't have a Bible where you're gathering at home, Download version. Go to the App Store. The Bible is readily available if you want it. So take that home with you. So where did the, the Bible come from? Pastor Vody Bakum, one of, one of my personal favorite pastors, has a quote where he, he talks about the Bible and how it was written. Go ahead and put that quote up there. The Bible is a reliable collection 
of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses, people who actually saw the events during the lifetime of other people who actually saw the events. They report to us supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. The Bible was written by people who saw it in the lifetime of other people who saw it. Therefore, if they made it up, other people who saw it could go, wait a second, that didn't really happen that way. And, and they report to us not natural events of things just people did, but supernatural events that God did. And they fulfilled things that were predicted before they happened. And their writings are claimed to be divine, meaning that God wrote the Bible through these people. In fact, 2 Timothy says it this way. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to understand that scripture is God-breathed. Why do I have such a reverence and a high view of this book? I have lots of books I like. Leadership books, self-help books, mental health books, novels that are really well-written, books I read in school that were like, this was a masterpiece. But I have a reverence for this book differently because we believe that God actually breathed this book, meaning this, the Bible was written down by men but authored by God. Like men put pen to paper, God inspired the writers of the Bible, over 40 authors, across a period of over 1,500 years in three different continents, in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, to produce one holy volume that has one coherent and clear message of a God who wants to rescue, redeem, and restore a relationship with you. That is how the Bible was written through 40 authors. And then over time, it was written over a thousand years ago. It was completed being written. But it had to be copied over and over and over again to get to us today. And one of the questions we get is, how do we know that it's still accurate? Why should I listen? How is it still accurate? It was painstakingly copied by a faithful group of followers for the last 1,500 to 2,000 years. And I just want to, again, this is part of the research. I don't have time to tell you everything, but it's fascinating. The people called copyists, which are the people who actually translated and kept writing the manuscript to hand to the next person, the next generation, they live by a strict code. Before they would go in to start copying the scripture, they would have to clean themselves ceremonially and practically. And they would dress up in like religious clothing so that there was nothing unclean coming into the room. And then they they actually made a special ink that they wrote the Bible with so that if someone else wrote it and they twisted things, they could go, ah, not the same ink. That's not not the real ink. That's a counterfeit. Think about when you look at counterfeit dollar bills, you can tell the difference because they put special ink that you don't just sell on the shelves. They had special ink and they used a brand new quill every time they started writing scripture down. Then on top of that, they had strict rules for how they wrote. Like when they wrote letters, the, the, the gap between consonants was one thread between the two consonants. And it had to be perfect. They knew the exact middle letter of the Bible. And when they got done writing the whole manuscript, they would find the middle letter and count back and count forward from that letter. And if they were not exactly equal, they know they missed something, they would burn or shred the manuscript. Start over. My kids get mad when they have to retake a quiz at school. Think about writing the whole Bible down, 
you missed a letter, write it down, burn it, start over. And, and the reality of they, they would actually read the entire manuscript out loud and compare it to make sure that not one word, phrase, or letter was off. And if there was a mistake, they would burn it or tear it up. I don't know why I love that stuff. Like, think about the attention to detail that that was. And then over time, the Bible was translated into over 1,600 different languages because you realize the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, and so it had to be translated into English. And in 1526, the Tyndale Bible was translated into English. And since then, the Bible has been translated into 900 different translations of the Bible. And we use the NIV here. You might use the NIV, the King James Version. the Met. There's, a, there's 900 different translations. But here's what you have to know. The Bible is the most evidentially supported document in human history. There are over 24,000 currently known, like in our possession, not Jason possession, but in our possession, 24,000 ancient manuscripts of the Bible. And when you compare the manuscripts, they are 99.5% accurate to one another. And the 0.5 that are, that, are, that are off are not like the message is different. It's like a copying error, a pen slip, or a vowel that's different. And we can compare these things. There's not been a single archaeological dig that has been discovered that actually speaks in a way that is contrary to what Scripture says. My point in saying all this is this is accurate. And you might say, you only have 24,000 manuscripts of the Bible. That doesn't seem like a lot. Well, let's compare. Caesar's Gaelic Wars, we have 10 manuscripts from that. Your history books were written based on that work, by the way. Then, then you've got like Herodotus and Homer. We've got less than 10 manuscripts of each of their writings. We have 24,000 manuscripts of Scripture. There is an accuracy and a trustworthiness in this. So how do we get the Bible we got today? That's how the Bible got to us. If nothing else, if you're like, I don't remember anything you said, what I want you to leave with is a new reverence for this book. People gave their entire life to writing this down so that it would get to you and I today. That's a fascinating thought. And just because I get this question a lot, if there's 900 translations, which one should I read? And if you're not in the church world, you're like, this is a yawn. If you're in the church world, this, this has the drama of like the real housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> and it makes no sense unless you're like a church homer where you're like, you're a church nerd. And you're like, I, well, technically the KJV was this and the NIV. And people were like, it's, it, if, you, if you put a bunch of old theologians at a table, they would fight and throw water in each other's faces like you see on the, on the real housewife show. But just so we're all on the same page, let me give you a picture of how to understand the different translations that are out there. So that, like there are, there's sort of a continuum of translations. On the far left side of the page, it's a word-for-word -word translation, then a thought-for-thought -thought translation, then an idea-for-idea -idea translation. So on the left, it's a literal, meaning I take the Greek word, I translate it to English, and write down that word. Then you've got the dynamic thought for thought, which is this verse is creating a thought. I know what the Greek says, and I want to translate that thought accurately into English. And then the paraphrase idea is 
This whole chapter or this whole paragraph is trying to capture something. I want to write it in a way that people can really easily digest. Then you've got the word for word. Their main goal is accuracy. The idea for idea, their main goal is approachability, that the normal person can read it and understand it. And in the middle is this balance of those two things. And then if you understand translations, there's several you could pick from, but you've got the, on the left, the, the famous one that's a word-for-word translation is the ESV, the English Standard Version. In the middle is the NIV, which is what we use. On the right is the message version. And if you read each of those, the heart of the scripture is true and pure and right in all of them, but their approach to scripture is a different approach. And as you're picking the left is more scholarly. The right is more impactful and easy to read. And we land on the NIV, not because we think it's necessarily the best or the worst, or we're not going to throw water in your face over it. It's just that it's the most best balance we've found of accuracy and approachability. So that's answering about 35 emails I get every year. What translation? There you go. Tell your friends. No, no need to email. I'll just email you a clip of this so you get it later. So second question. First was, how do we get the Bible? Second, why is the Bible still our authority today? I don't know about you, but I don't go back to science books in the 1500s and say, whatever they said back then is my authority now. Because science has progressed. Like we, when you had issues, like one of the biggest medical treatments was leaching. Have you ever heard of this? They would put leeches on your skin and drain your blood and go, what will happen is your blood will leave and then your body will reproduce clean blood and the leeches will fix you. Anyone signing up for that today? No, didn't think so. Me either. Ever since, was the movie Stand By Me with the leeches in the water? Any, am I alone here? That gave me nightmares for years. Like literally thinking, I got the willies right now thinking about leeches. I wouldn't do that now. We outgrew that science. And yet we still say the Bible written even before that, this is still the thing that I give authority to in my life. Why? Because we actually believe that this was written by the one who created us. Like you don't have to believe this yet, but we believe that God inspired this book. And if the one who created us wrote it, he probably has something to say about how we should live and what we should know. And we outgrow science books and medical journals, but we don't outgrow Scripture. It's why 2 Timothy says this, all scriptures God breathed. And then also it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This book is useful for teaching, correcting, training. It's how God grows us up. It's the instruction manual for life. It's a love letter from your father in heaven. It's the story of how we got here and how we get back to our Heavenly Father. And when I read this book, it's more than just a text for me. It's, it's what I bound my life to. Everyone needs an authority. I just choose God's word. And if you don't choose something else, but who are you going to listen to for your authority? See, for me, the Bible is authoritative. And if you were a parent of a younger kid, you, you got toys at Christmas and the Christmas morning, your life was full of putting toys together. And there's nothing that kills the Christmas spirit like me under my breath, just angry. How is this supposed to go together? Flipping, flapping, that doesn't go well. Because I don't like the instruction manual. Because I'm pretty smart until it comes to a 10-year-old's toy and then I get stupid. And then I have to go back to what? The instruction manual, why, why is the instruction manual authoritative? Because the people that built the toy are telling me how to put it together. 
The one who created life is telling us how to live life. And there's an authority in this. And we have to understand not just why we should read it, but how to read it. Because listen, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to do something that contradicts the Holy Word. And one of the reasons why we do a teaching like this is because what we like to do is go in here and find a verse that justifies the thing we want to do, take it out of context, apply it, and go, I'm good. And we've all done it. Some of us have things hanging on our wall in our grandma's house with scriptures out of context that, hey, that's, I'm claiming that. Uh, it's not written really to you. You're not saying what you think it's saying, grandma. But what we like to do is, is we like to twist the Bible to justify the things that we want to do anyway. Again, I grew up in the church, and it's, again, if you didn't grow up in the church, it's weird. I went to a Christian college. If you went to a real college, it's weird. But the thing that I used to see play out, and I may have used it myself, is when you're dating a girl and you're tired of it and you just want to move on, you play what we call the God card. And we say, listen, God's just put it on my heart um, that I just, need to, I just need to just be alone for a while. And no, 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 no. It's not you. It's, 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 not, it's not even me. It's God. And so how are you going to get mad at God? Anyway, and the next week you ask out the girl who just transferred in and your girlfriend's like, wait, didn't God, da, 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 God just gave me a new fresh thought and that girl is really pretty and I like her a lot and until, hey, I, God just spoke again. And we, we play these God cards and we just, we make God say what we need him to say so I can do what I already want to do. And we still do this. We just, we just got more mature and intellectual about it. Like we, we say like, listen, God wants me to be happy. It's in there. Can you show me? No, dude, it's just, it's in there. God wants to put that down. God wants me to be happy. Therefore, uh, God just said, it's okay if I leave my spouse because my spouse is not making me happy anymore. False. Not in there. You say, man, God just wants me to be happy, and so I'm going to indulge myself in my teens and my 20s years, and listen, God's a forgiving God. I know that's in there. He'll forgive me when I turn 30 and get married, and we'll, we'll leave all that behind, and there'll be no consequences. God wants me to be happy, therefore, fill in the blank. We take Scripture, and we twist it to say what we want, because we want to do what we want to do versus sit under the authority of what Scripture says, and that's why this conversation is so important. Because we love to twist scripture to justify the things we want to think and do and act already. And we make it fit into what we want to do. And that's more dangerous than just not reading the Bible at all, in my opinion. Because you're twisting God to say things he never said. In fact, here's a big one that I, I can find in scripture that God justifies that person or those people that I hate. You know how you get there? You apply the rebukes that Jesus gave to religious people, to people far from Jesus. And then you apply the grace that Jesus gave to sinners, and you apply that to yourself as a follower of Jesus and go, we good. Jesus is like, no, 
That was the wrong audience. You're reading it wrong. And for decades, the church has missed this and messed this up. And it's why now I want to actually teach you how I approach the word and how I think God would invite all of us to approach his word. How do you actually read the Bible? And by the way, if you're sitting here going, I'm embarrassed to say I don't know how to read the Bible. We all have things that if you knew we were embarrassed to ask about. Like I did not know. I didn't do a single dishwasher load until I was 22 years old in my first apartment. And I was 22 years old when I learned that there's a difference between dish soap and dish detergent. <laughs> Squirted it in, shut the door, felt accomplished, went and got dinner, came back, bubbles on the floor everywhere. I called my mom, mom, the dishwasher's broke. She goes, all right, walk me through it. By the end of it, she's like, you dummy. It's, it's a different soap. I was 22 when I learned that. I don't know how old you are, but you might today learn how to read the Bible. And here's what I want to do. I want to actually walk you through how I learned to read the Bible and how I want to teach you how to read the Bible. And part of the beauty of this is we sit in a verse like this and we understand part of it, but don't understand all of it. So I want to give you my approach that I learned with that you might pick up. And it's called soap. Anyone ever heard of soap? Not like, hopefully you've all heard of soap. Uh, if not, we're talking about you. We smell you. So, scripture, observation, application, prayer. Here, all the campuses want us to say this out loud together, and let's say it like we mean it. First one, scripture, observation, application, prayer. This is how I learned how to approach God's word. And I hope that you will as well. And by the way, when you text Devo 37748, we've written five devotional things for you this week, Monday through Friday, where we're walking through the SOAP approach to Scripture. We want to not just tell you how to do it, but model it for you this week throughout this devotional time. So the first thing you do when you pick up the Bible, you read the Scripture. But I add a step that's not in, in, in SOAP. So mine's pasop because I pray first. So I want to pray for us. Bow your heads here across the campuses. Holy Spirit, you are the author of your holy Bible. You are the counselor to your holy people. So God, would you open our eyes to Scripture? Would you help us understand what you're saying? Would you give us a deeper conviction of how we're supposed to live? And Holy Spirit, if there's somewhere that you need to correct in me or in us, would you do it? If there's something you need to encourage in me or in us, would you do it? Would you open our eyes and open our hearts to your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So I start in Scripture. I like to read it out loud because if you didn't know this about me, I have ADHD, which means if a shiny thing over there and I'm gone. So when I read it out loud, I have to focus more. So I want to read this out loud to us. This is from Galatians 3, 26 to 28, which is a fitting passage considering the weekend we're celebrating. Martin Luther King Jr. Day is celebrated tomorrow. This is a fitting passage for this weekend. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. So I, I read this scripture and I go, love that. 
Now what? Honestly, this is where a lot of us stop when we read Scripture, because you read it and go, I agree. Cool. Let's move on with the day. And what if there was more to it? Because the next thing we step into from Scripture, now the O, observation. We make observations about the Scripture. Look at it and chew on it a little bit. What, what stands out to you? What did you notice first in the, the passage? I like to do my devotion time with a Bible and a notebook next to me. Because I like to write things down that stand out to me or things that God sort of reminds me of or convicts me of in this process. So who's the audience? Who are the characters in the passage? Anything stand out to us? And the reason we have to take a layer deeper than just reading it and doing something with it, we have to stop at observation, is because of this. The Bible was written for us, just not to us. So you can find an old love letter between your grandparents you can learn a lot from it, but just know they were not writing that letter to you. If they were, it's super awkward, but you can read that letter between those two people and you can learn a lot about what love looks like, what a relationship of decades looks like. You can learn from it, but it wasn't written to you. So when it's not written to you, but written for you, you have to understand who was it written to? Why was it written? All the things. And for me, there's many commentaries I sit inside of, and a commentary is just a book about the book, which is the Bible. It's really smart people jumping into the original Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and unpacking things and explaining it. I like to use EnduringWord.com as my online commentary for my personal study because I think it has the best balance of like a personal practical explanation of Scripture with a clinical and intellectual and scholarly approach to it. So if you want to write that down or take a picture in DuringWord.com, I'm actually going to show you how this plays out when I read the Bible. So when I sit inside of a book of the Bible, we're in the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians was written to the church at Galatia, the Galatian people. And Paul wrote a letter to them and in order to understand how to read the whole book of Galatians, you have to understand what the context was. So I go to EnduringWord.com, I go to Galatians 1.1, and I get the historical setup of this deal. So Paul is the apostolic authorship of this magnificent letter. It's been called, if you see on the, on the first point, it's been called the Declaration of Independence of Christian Liberty. It's starting to give you some gravity for this book. Then you go to the end of it, and it says that this book really is a preacher on fire for his Lord, committed to bringing the hearers an understanding of what saving faith is. So Paul is, is concerned with helping this church understand what is faith all about. And then you keep reading the second bullet. It was believed to be written between the 40s and 50s, meaning, last line, that Paul would have been a Christian for about 15 years which is around A.D. 35, when he wrote this. So now you're, you're in the, the story. Paul was, became a Christian on the road to Damascus at A.D. 35, 15 years later. He's writing this to this church. Now we're back to the passage. You understand the biblical context and backdrop. Now you're back to the passage. And when I see a word like so or therefore, I always stop. Because when you, when you see a word like that, it's, so, all that being said, I'll say this. So you have to start before the verse you're in to understand what this verse is really about. So you go to the top of chapter 3, and what is Paul talking about? In Galatians 3, verse 1, to put on the screen, it says this. Go ahead and put 3, 1 up there. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's a good start. Like, he's starting like, like dogging on them. You dummies, what happened? 
How did you get off track? So Paul's addressing something, trying to get this church back on track. So we continue in the passage. So to get you back on track, you're all children of God. You've been baptized. Clothe yourself with Christ. That's a word picture. Clothe yourself with Christ, meaning it should be apparent. Like when I wear a shirt, you can tell me this shirt is blue. It's obvious what I'm wearing. This is a word picture that Paul's putting in there saying it should be obvious to everyone that you walk with Jesus. As obvious as the shirt or brand you wear should be as obvious that you walk with Jesus. Now we continue. Now we're to the crux of what Paul's trying to do. He's saying this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. Paul in this statement is unpacking what's broke in the church of Galatia. In fact, let's go back to the commentary. I want you to see, because again, you hear me say things sometimes on the weekends, and you're like, you're brilliant, and I'm not. You probably don't say that, because my wife doesn't either. But you might say, where did you come up with that? It's in here. You can find it. You can understand it. Point A, there is neither Jew nor Greek. This was an amazing revolution for the time. The whole problem among the Galatian Christians is that some wanted to still observe the dividing line between Jew and Greek. So the Jews wanted to keep separate and go, yes, you're a Christian now too, but not like we are. You're a Christian with an asterisk. You're Sammy Sosa with the home run, home run record. Yeah, you got it, but how you got there is not how it's supposed to play out, my dude. That's how the church was, asking, was acting. And, and Paul's saying, I'm addressing where you've drifted. So this verse is not just a random good thought. Paul is dealing with where they're broken. Let's go to the next page inside of the commentary. According to William Barclay, in that prayer, the Jewish man would actually offer the prayer and thank God. Think about this, that he was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That was a prayer that pious Jewish men would walk around praying. Imagine hearing that. God, thank you so much that I was not born like that guy, that guy, or that girl. Amen. And Paul goes after it. He's addressing those three prayer categories directly and saying, listen, each of those categories, they're actually equal in Jesus. He's speaking directly to what's happening in the church, and, he, and the commentary applies it this way. For example, if you feel you have more common ground with an unbeliever who shares your race or your political party than a genuine Christian from another race or political party, you have drawn a line that Jesus died on the cross to erase. You can actually understand Scripture if you just know how to approach it. Scripture into observation, and it's got to get into our life. In fact, you might not have known this. Passages like this are what took biblical knowledge into spiritual intimacy, into holy obedience in the civil rights era. You realize that passages like this are what fueled the civil rights movement. They were religious leaders because they read scripture and go, wait a second. This is not what God wanted. Here's how Paul ends it. You are all one. I went back in Christ Jesus. Go back. Put it up on the screen because I don't know how technology works. I'm bad at it. You are all one in Christ 
Jesus. That's not some of you are one in Christ Jesus, or if you, then you. If you were born this way, if you look this way, as long as you're not this, you're one. And so you read this and go, this is God's desire. I don't see it playing out. I'm going to do something about it. That's the underpinning of the civil rights movement. But you have to remember the audience is the church. So what God does is God gets it right in here. And then God gets it right in here. And then the world has a shot at it. But if it's not right in here and in here, it never goes out anywhere else. Because only the church has a shot at this because there is an authority greater than any of us. And it's Jesus. Scripture, observation, third application. See, when you read Scripture, it's not just to make your head smarter, although it does. It is to actually look at your life. Here's the question I ask. Where is the truth that I just read in the Bible not true in my life? What is God encouraging me with? What is God challenging me to do? What is God reminding me of? You see, the purpose of the Bible is not just that I read it, but that it reads me. And I put my life up next to Scripture and go, where is, where is the Bible saying this is true and right and my life doesn't look like that? So, for example, in this passage, you might sit and go, there might be someone I need to go ask for forgiveness from. And when I read the Bible, I got my notebook next to me. A lot of times it's a Word document because I write bad, I type fast. And there's people that God put on my mind at that moment and go, Jason, go make something right there. Where have you drawn lines that Jesus didn't draw? Where are you acting like there's a hierarchy in the church? Where are you treating people like we're not wanting Christ Jesus? See, that's the beauty of reading the Bible is that you're not just trying to get statements that are tweetable. God wants to transform your life. So I, 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 I say the least about application because it's the most personal, but this is where I, I shut up. And I listen to God. Based on what I just read, what do you need to correct in me? What do you need to convict? What sin do I need to ask for forgiveness for? What relationship do I need to go repair? Is there something you would encourage me with from this passage that I should go sit down with one of my sons or my daughter or my wife and encourage them with it? And then I end with the P, prayer. And I keep it simple, and I ask God, I say, God, I wrote the stuff down that you just put on my heart to apply to my life. God, would you help me with this? Would you give me the courage to speak and ask forgiveness here, or the courage to encourage this person? Or God, would you give me the strength to back away from this sin or this thing in my life? And over time, when you approach the Bible this way, God transforms you. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. Last question, where do I start with all this? And I would encourage you, start by texting Devo to 37748. Get in the Word this week. Put the time in. Read His Word. Dive into what it's saying and why. Ask God to help you apply it to your life, and then pray for the strength to live it out, and God will transform you. I want to demystify how you approach this book, because this book the power to transform you because the power of God wrote the book 
and the Holy Spirit uses the book. See, here's what I want to do. We sung good grace off the top. And we sing that song and it's beautiful. People come together, strange as neighbors, but our, our blood is one, like we're one people. I just asked Ansley for here in all the campuses, would you, would you sing that chorus over us again? And I want the context of what we just read in, in Galatians 3 to sit inside of the song. A lot of the lyrics from the song came from the scripture. And I want you to understand and experience when you understand the Bible, it doesn't just make you smarter. It softens your heart and aligns your will to the things of God. This is not a scholarly endeavor alone. It's a transformation journey. So as she sings, you can stay seated. We're going to sing this over you. As she sings, I want Galatians 3 as the backdrop to the song. And then I'm going to pray for us. So would you lead us in that, Ansley? People come together, strangers and neighbors, our blood is one. Children of generations of every nation of kingdom come. So don't, don't let your heart be troubled. Hold your head up high. Don't fear no evil. Fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. So take courage, hold on, be strong. Remember where your help comes from take courage hold on be strong remember where our help comes from take courage hold on be strong remember where our help comes from so father thank you for your word the songs that we sing are rooted deeply in the truth that you brought to us God, thank you that the church can be unified under the name of Jesus. And we don't do it on our own authority. We do it because of what Jesus did for us. So God, I pray for our church here across the campuses, 12 Stone Home. God, would you give us a hunger and a thirst for your word? There's a difference between doing something as a, I have to do it because God said to, and a doing something because we long for it. So, Spirit of God, would you put a hunger in your church that we would hunger after your word? And then, God, I ask, like, in, in advance, Holy Spirit, would you meet with people as they jump into this devotion this week, when they open your word and they walk through Scripture this week and they apply this whole soap thing, Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you meet them in those moments? Would you help to transform them and deepen them in your word? And when we look back and go, that was the week that started a new rhythm in my life where I understand the word and I'm transformed by the power of God. But you got to start somewhere. Holy Spirit, start today and then start tomorrow as we start the devotional as a church. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.